Good afternoon and welcome to the November 7th, 2023 meeting of the San Francisco Board of Supervisors. Madam Clerk, would you please call the roll? Thank you, Mr. President. Supervisor Chan. <laughs> Chan present, Supervisor Dorsey. Present. Dorsey present, Supervisor Engardio. Engardio present, Supervisor Mandelman. Present. Mandelman present, Supervisor Melgar. Melgar not present, Supervisor Peskin. Present. Peskin present, Supervisor Preston. Preston present, Supervisor Ronan. Ronan not present, Supervisor Safai. Safai present, Supervisor Stephanie. Stephanie present, and Supervisor Walton. Walton present. Mr. President, you have a quorum. Thank you, Madam Clerk. The San Francisco Board of Supervisors acknowledges we are on the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramatushaloni, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. As the indigenous stewards of this land and in accordance with their traditions, the Ramatushaloni have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place, as well as for all peoples who reside in their traditional territory. As guests, we recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland. We wish to pay our respects by acknowledging the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramatushaloni community and by affirming their sovereign rights as First Peoples. Please join me in the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Colleagues, can we have a motion to excuse Supervisors Melgar and Ronan made by Supervisor Mandelman? Is there a second for that? Second by Supervisor Dorsey. We will take that motion without objection. Those two supervisors are excused. Madam Clerk, do we have any communications? Yes, the board welcomes all interested in this meeting to attend in person here in the legislative chamber, room 250, second floor in City Hall. This meeting is airing live on SFGOV-TV's channel 26, or you may view the live stream at www.sfgotv.org. Alternately, you may submit your public comment in writing. You can submit it to uh, bos at sfgov.org, or you can send us your written comments via the U.S. Postal Service to the San Francisco Board of Supervisors, the number one, Dr. Carlton B. Period, Goodlett Place, City Hall, room 244, San Francisco, California, 94102. We, are, uh, we, we do have a clerk standing by if there are individuals who uh, 48 hours in advance either need an ADA accommodation or uh, a language access accommodation, just contact the clerk's office at 415-554-5184. Thank you, Mr. President. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Is there a motion, a motion to approve the meeting minutes for October 3rd, 2023, made by Supervisor Mandelman, seconded by Supervisor Stephanie? On that motion made and seconded, Madam Clerk, a roll call, please. On the minutes, Supervisor Stephanie. Stephanie, aye. Supervisor Walton. Walton, aye. Supervisor Chan. Chan, aye. Supervisor Dorsey. Dorsey, aye. Supervisor Engardio. Engardio, aye. Supervisor Mandelman. Aye. Mandelman, aye. Supervisor Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. Supervisor Preston. Preston, aye. And Supervisor Safai. Safai, aye. There are nine ayes. The minutes will be approved as presented after public comment. Madam Clerk, could you please read items one through three together? 
Items one through three comprise three settlements against the city and county of San Francisco. Uh, in fact, they, they, they are ordinances that authorize settlements of the lawsuit filed by for number one, Katie Sullivan for 207,000. This involves an employment dispute. Item two authorizes settlement of the lawsuit filed by Twilio Inc. Uh, for 18 million. This lawsuit involved a claim for refund of telephone user tax and access line taxes and related penalties and interest June 1st, 2009 and including December 31st, 2018. And item three, this item authorizes settlement of a lawsuit filed by Adam Smith for return of the expedited conversion program fee in an amount of approximately 130,000. Uh, this settlement, uh, <clears throat> this lawsuit challenged the board's denial of petitioner's application to convert six unit buildings at a 424434 Francisco Street into condominiums under the city's expedited conversion program. And the settlement included return of petitioner's expedited program fee and a waiver of the city's litigation costs. Seeing no names on the roster, we will take these same house, same call. These ordinances are finally passed. Next item, please. Item four, this is an ordinance to amend the administrative code to require the chief of police to adopt a foot and bike patrol strategy for the police department. Same house, same call. The ordinance is finally passed. Next item, please. Item five, this is a charter amendment first draft to amend the municipal charter of San Francisco to provide that the mayor must affirmatively approve in writing certain SFMTA San Francisco Municipal Transportation Agency proposals as part of the SFMTA's proposed budget uh, or budget amendment, proposals such as fare changes, parking meter maximum rates and hours or days of operation at an election to be held on March 5th, 2024. Supervisor Safai, why don't you pass out whatever it is you're passing out and then we'll call on you. Okay, thank you. I don't know what happened to my thing. No, no. Supervisor Safai. Okay, thank you. Um, colleagues, as you know, this charter amendment uh, will reform the process to change uh, MTA fare and parking meter rates and hours and days of operations and how that approval process is done. Uh, currently, it's an up or down uh, vote from the Board of Supervisors for the overall budget. But what happens in practice is the mayor's office, who has a majority appointments to all of the MTA commission, essentially is the one that is making the decisions behind the scenes. This charter amendment that we Supervisor have- Supervisor Safai, it's not a majority of appointments. It is all of the appointments. Yes, majority, all, correct. Yes. Yeah. A unanimity. Sorry, thank you. All five appointments, not majority, all five. Thank you. That's right, that's right. Thank you, folks. <laughs> I'm glad everyone's listening. <laughs> but yes, that is an important point because there are five appointed commissioners. All five are appointed by the mayor. The mayor has that sole authority and the decision making is ultimately in the hands of the mayor. Um, but in these instances, oftentimes, as we saw during COVID, 
when there was a discussion of, of raising our fares, uh, the conversation was halted and, the, and at the request of some members on this board and the mayor ultimately, same thing most recently, earlier this year, there was a proposal to extend parking meter hours and we've heard from thousands of San Franciscans over the course of this last number of months talking about the impact it would have and the potential impact it has had coming out of COVID and how it impacts working families, small business owners, and others. Um, so we passed a, a urging resolution. I think it was put forward by President Peskin to ask for a delay of the implementation until there was a uh, economic analysis done. <coughs> so in 2008, the SFMTA Board of Directors delegated the sole authority to the Director of Transportation to set parking meter maximum rates, operations, and time limits, effectively removing any public process. And there was some purpose behind that. People wanted to remove the politics from the process. But at the end of the day, with these very big decisions that are actually really happening um, at the sole discretion of the mayor and her complete control over that body, we want to have open accountability and for the mayor to have that um, openly um, and in the public domain. So we were feed feedback in the process. We were received some feedback some from some advocates and we have made some approvals that you will see that um, some amendments that we changed uh, um, at their request. Not all of their requests, but we did make some requests. One of them in particular is that the mayor would, instead of approving ultimately these decisions, the mayor would disapprove. And uh, that you see on page three, uh, by no later than May 15th, the mayor may disapprove any proposed fare or meter increase and return the budget to the agency submitted um, an alternative budget and they can do that within a certain amount of time after the mayor takes that action. But this essentially boils down to the mayor taking action. So we say another thing that was requested, and it was a discussion from some of colleagues and advocates, instead of uh, the word changes, we changed that word, uh, Supervisor Preston, to increases. Um, and that was another thing that we heard uh, to fares meters and hours and operations. And part of that has to do with the fact that there could be in the future the idea of actually decreasing or eliminating uh, fares altogether. And that is something that we've seen around the country. Um, so essentially, those are the two main um, amendments uh, that have been made. And we are asking first that colleagues would adopt those amendments. Um, and, then, and then I can tell you what the next uh, steps would be. Supervisor Safai, we've just gotten word from your staff that she may have passed out the wrong version. Oh. She is okay. bringing down the correct version. Okay. So hold but on But I mean, I talked vote. about in general, yes. folks. They're, they're very straightforward changes. We're changing the word from changes to increases. We're changing the process from approval to disapproval. And we will hand those out uh, shortly. All right, while we are waiting on those and while we are reviewing those, why don't we move on to item number six. Madam Clerk, could you please call item six? <clears throat> item six is a charter amendment first draft to amend the Municipal Charter of San Francisco to establish within the charter the Department of Emergency Management, the position of the director of the department and the director's qualifications and appointing authority at an election to be held on March 5th, 2024. 
Supervisor Safai. Thank you. I'll just say very briefly the intent of this proposal was designed to codify in the charter the importance of the position of the Department of Emergency Management and those qualifications. Um, definitely want to celebrate and uplift the tremendous work that Director Mary Ellen Carroll has done. All of the qualifications that we propose she meets and exceeds. Uh, but we felt as though over the last few years there's been a tremendous amount of work given to that department or a lot of responsibilities given to that department and requested for. And so uh, we thought that this was an important thing to codify in the charter. Um, after further discussions uh, with uh, the representative bodies, I think we're just going to continue those conversations. We're not going to, I'm not asking folks to vote on this today. So I'll just make a motion to send it back to committee for further conversation and we can have uh, continued conversations around the importance of this um, codifying these qualifications in the charter um, and also continuing that to a later date. Okay, motion made to re-refer item six to committee, seconded by Supervisor Mandelman. Colleagues, can we take that without objection? Item six is re-referred to committee, and while we are waiting for the distribution of the amendments to item number five, Madam Clerk, could you please call item number seven? Yes. Item seven, this is an ordinance to waive the administrative code's competitive bidding requirements and all other requirements in the administrative environment and other parts of the municipal codes as applied to a commodities purchase to authorize the airport commission to procure up to 14 used compressed natural gas transit buses from the city of Phoenix, which owns and operates Phoenix Sky Harbor International Airport for an amount not to exceed 350,000 and to authorize the airport director to negotiate the terms of the agreement consistent with the not to exceed amount. Seeing no names on the roster, we will take this same house, same call. The ordinance is passed on first reading. Madam Clerk, could you please read items eight and nine together? Items eight and nine called together pertain to the general obligation bond election for affordable housing. Item eight is the resolution that determines and declares that the public interest and necessity demand the construction, development, acquisition, and or rehabilitation of rental affordable housing projects and related costs necessary to be financed through a $300 million bond debt, subject to independent citizen oversight and regular audits. To authorize landlords the 50% pass-through of the resulting property tax increase, if any, to residential tenants under Administrative Code Chapter 37, to provide for the levy and collection of taxes, to pay both principal and interest on such bonds, and to affirm the secret determination, and to make the appropriate findings. For Item 9, this is the ordinance that calls and provides for a special election to be held in the city and County of San Francisco on Tuesday, March 5th, 2024, uh, for the purpose of submitting to the San Francisco San Francisco voters a proposition to incur bonded indebtedness of not to exceed 300 million subject again to the independent citizen oversight and regular audits. Thank you Madam Clerk uh, and thank you colleagues, thank you Chair Chan and members of the Budget and Finance Committee for uh, forwarding this to the full Board of Supervisors with a positive recommendation. <clears throat> I want to thank the now I think every member of the board 
who has co-sponsored or indicated that they will co-sponsor, and I want to thank and acknowledge Mayor Breed for her support early on, which was expressed at the Capital com uh, Planning Committee. Um, you colleagues all voted to change the order of the Capital Plan to bring this bond forward, uh, and it is, uh, it is sorely needed in San Francisco. Uh, it has been widely supported. Uh, I would like to vote today <clears throat> to put it on the ballot and before the voters uh, acknowledging that it does not raise property taxes and will help uh, build some 1,500 units of sorely needed affordable housing. Um, I want to, uh, there were two versions of this um, and uh, ultimately the mayor and I uh, decided to move forward collaboratively with this version, uh, which she is going to, uh, I understand, add her name to today. Her name was on the other similar version, um, but I will confirm that uh, with her representative, Tom Polino, who is present um, for the record. Thank you, President Paskin. Yes, confirming. Thank you. So with that, and thank you, Mayor Breed, for your sponsorship, and thank you to each and every member of this Board of Supervisors. I think it has now uh, been co-sponsored by every member of the Board of Supervisors. And with that, Madam Clerk, could you please call the roll on items 8 and 9 together? On items 8 and 9 together, Supervisor Stephanie? Aye. Stephanie, aye. Supervisor Walton? Walton, aye. Supervisor Chan? Aye. Chan, aye. Supervisor Dorsey? Dorsey, aye. Supervisor Rondardio? <coughs> Engardio, aye. Supervisor Mandelman. Mandelman, aye. Supervisor Peskin. Aye. Peskin, aye. Supervisor Preston. Preston, aye. And Supervisor Safayi. Aye. Safayi, aye. There are nine ayes. Okay, why don't we return to item five, unless people need a moment to read the changes. Why don't we take a moment to look at them? Yeah, the, there wasn't a lot of difference between this and the previous version, um, colleagues. It's just um, essentially what I was describing before. We, we make the word, we take out the word changes to increases to ensure that there's opportunities in the future in case there were decreases that were intended. And then ultimately, um, the, the charter member to clarify the mayor's authority to disapprove the budget would only fall under the increases rather than potential decreases in other operations. Um, and then to approve, uh, change approved to reject. So in case anyone has any questions, I'm happy to answer them. But essentially I described the purpose of this, which was intended to show um, that ultimately the mayor is the one that makes these decisions and we're putting, calling that out, putting it out in the public, bringing more scrutiny to that. And again, in this larger conversation about uh, mayoral authority. I think it's it's often it's, it's easy to make the easy decisions. It's harder to make the hard decisions, and and sometimes these are hard. That does not mean in any way, shape, or form that these decisions won't be made in the future. It's just that we'll know exactly to wh whom to hold accountable. Um, so 
if there aren't any questions, I would make a motion to adopt these amendments as described. Motion made by Supervisor Safai to amend. Is there a second for that motion? Second by Supervisor Walton. Is there any discussion on the motion? If not, on the motion to amend a roll call, please. On the motion to amend item five, Supervisor Stephanie? Aye. Stephanie, aye. Supervisor Walton? Aye. Walton, aye. Supervisor Chan? Aye. Chan, aye. Supervisor Dorsey? Dorsey, aye. Supervisor Engardio? Engardio, aye. Supervisor Mandelman? Mendelman, aye. Supervisor Peskin? Aye. Peskin, aye. Supervisor Preston? Aye. Preston, aye. And Supervisor Safai? Aye. Safai, aye. There are nine ayes. Okay. The motion to amend passes. Supervisor Safai, you would like yes. to make a motion to continue this? Yes. I make a motion to continue this item to, to Tuesday, November 14th, as a committee of the whole. Second for that motion. Supervisor Stephanie? All right, on that motion to continue the item as amended to a committee of the whole on the 14th of November, a roll call, please. On the motion to, conti to continue item five to a committee of the whole on Tuesday, November 14th, Supervisor Stephanie. Stephanie, I, Supervisor Walton. Walton, I, Supervisor Chan. Chan, I, Supervisor Dorsey. Dorsey, I, Supervisor Engardio. Engardio, I, Supervisor Mandelman. Mandelman, aye. Supervisor Peskin? Aye. Peskin, aye. Supervisor Preston? Preston, aye. And Supervisor Safai? Aye. Safai, aye. There are nine ayes. The item is continued as amended. Madam Clerk, could you please read item 10? Item 10, ordinance to amend the administrative code to increase the fees imposed by the Department of Administrative Services for reproduction and notary services provided to the public and to authorize the controller to make future adjustments to ensure that costs of providing the services are recovered without producing revenue, which is significantly more than such costs. Same house, same call. The ordinance is passed on first reading. Next item. Item 11, ordinance to deappropriate 377,000 from general city responsibility and 150,000 from the municipal transportation agency for a total of 527,000 and to reappropriate towards District 7 projects and services in the various departments listed. Colleagues, at the request of Supervisor Melgar, who has been excused for today's meeting, is there a motion to continue this item one week made by Supervisor Mandelman, seconded by Supervisor Safai? We will take that without objection. The item is continued one week. Next item, please. Item 12, this is in resolution to authorize and approve the lease of a portion of the real property located at 2789 25th Street to the San Francisco General Hospital Foundation for an initial term of 27 years at an annual base rent of zero plus two 10-year extension options to extend to commence upon execution of the lease after approval of the resolution in, uh, and to affirm the CEQA determination and to make the appropriate findings. Same house, same call. The resolution is approved. Next item, please. Item 13, resolution to authorize the Recreation and Park Department to accept and expend cash and in-kind grants from the Friends of Jackson Park, valued at approximately $12.4 million for the renovation of Jackson Playground for the project term until the notice of substantial completion. Same house, same call. The resolution is adopted. Madam Clerk, please read items 14 and 15 together. 
Items 14 and 15 together are two uh, contracts that authorized the Office of Contract Administration to execute. Uh, item, for item 14, this is with Radiation Detection Company for the purchase of ionized radiation detection badge services by city departments for a not to exceed amount of 420,000 and a contract term of five years to commence on December 1st, 2023 through November 30th, 2028, and to allow the contractor to maintain radiation dose exposure reports for a period of, uh, uh, to exceed 10 years. And for item 15, this item retroactively authorizes a fifth amendment to the contract between the city uh, and Western States Oil for the purchase of gasoline for all city departments to increase the contract amount for a not to exceed amount of 35.45 million and to extend the contract duration by 19 days for a total duration of five years and 19 days through November 19th, 2023. Same house, same call. The resolutions are adopted. Madam Clerk, let's go to our 2.30 p.m. special order. Yes. I will start, uh, colleagues, by giving a special commendation to three stellar officers from Central Police Station in the northeast corner of this city, Officer Sam Yuen, star 380, Officer Brian Neuerberg, star 2732, and Officer Juan Lara, star 1582. Colleagues, I'm taking the opportunity to recognize and commend uh, what is truly exceptional bravery and professionalism by these officers who responded to a recent domestic terror threat in the northeast corner of this city that occurred two Sundays ago on October 29th. Um, they are, their commanding officer, uh, Captain Eric Kim of Central Station is here. Please come, up, come, up, come on up and thank you officers uh, for being here. On that Sunday evening uh, at about 6 p.m., these officers responded to assist in the report of an assault incident uh, at St. Peter's and Paul Church at Washington Square in the heart of North Beach. Uh, the officers subsequently attempted to conduct a traffic stop a few blocks up of the suspect at Jones and Union Street on Russian Hill, where the suspect reacted by discharging an explosive device at the officer's patrol vehicle four uh, yards away. Uh, I have seen pictures of the side of Officer Samuel's car, which had a piece of shrapnel that went into the side of the door of the police car and could have ripped through Officer Yuen, but thankfully was stopped by a sheet of steel on the inside of that car, something that should never be happening in the city or anywhere else. The suspect fled the scene and was pursued through the city uh, down to Mission and 8th, where the suspect threw out yet another uh, improvised explosive device, and then eastbound onto the Bay Bridge. With the help of the California Highway Patrol, the suspect was finally taken into custody some 45 miles away in Martinez, California. The actions of these officers exemplify the very best of the San Francisco Police Department. Every day they maintain community safety by patrolling our neighborhoods, building close relationships with residents, organizations, and local businesses. Uh, I know that they truly are the embodiment of community policing. On other days, they put their lives on the line 
dodging explosives as happened on October 29th and do their best to take suspects into custody. This incident is a reminder of the daily dangers our officers face, but is also an opportunity to highlight the important job that our officers do every day. I would like to take this opportunity to commend the entire team of officers who responded to the incident. Their quick thinking and coordinated efforts brought the situation under control and prevented further harm. It is rather extraordinary that nobody was seriously injured. Thank you, officers, from the bottom of my heart. Uh, with that, Captain Kim, the commanding officer of Central Station, the floor is yours, and then please turn it over to our officers. Thank you. Afternoon, uh, President Peskin and the Board of Supervisors. First off, I'd like to thank everyone here for recognizing the officers and the heroic deeds they did on October 29th of that day. Um, I, I'd like to say that I know officers um, takes an oath to protect and serve the community, and they are expected to deal with the worst of the worst and handle the situation. But to have actual explosives blowing up, pipe bombs blowing up next to their vehicles and to have their bearings and continue to chase down the suspect and being able to take that person into custody without anybody getting hurt demonstrates the dedication and uh, the fortitude that these officers have. And I know by recognizing these officers, not only I or these officers, but every single officer is working in the San Francisco Police Department is greatly appreciate the support that you have given to all of us. Thank you. Thank you, Captain Kim. Uh, Officer Yuen, I think you have the most seniority if my recollection serves. The floor is yours. Good afternoon. Uh, thank you everyone for being here. Um, not good with speeches, but I just want to say, I mean, I just did what uh, anyone, in, men and women in our department have done the same or in uniform. Thank you, Sam see you somewhere on the streets of Chinatown or North Beach in the next few hours, undoubtedly. Officer Lara? Sorry, I'll be quick. I prepared some words here. Good afternoon, everyone. I'd like to thank off by thanking the citizens who saw something wrong and wanted to make it right. It takes courage to do what is right, even when it is hard or can possibly put yourself in danger. I want to thank my partner, Officer Brian, the kid, Nuremberg, for always being there for me and for us being able to laugh through everything and anything. You make this job easy, brother. Here's to another 20 years in a radio car with my best friend. I love you. I want to thank uh, Officer Samuel for having uncanny work ethic. When regular cops are getting ready to go home, Sammy is just getting started. I want to thank all the officers who responded to assist that evening from all over the city and the outside agencies who also responded. It takes so much effort into investigation and follow-up after every incident, and we are very grateful. I want to thank the dispatchers who always provide us all the resources and information that we need so we're able to take care of business on the street no matter what. I want to thank my loving family, my mother, my father, my late grandfather and late grandmother who raised me, instilled my faith, work ethic, and sense of duty. I love them dearly. I especially want to thank my loving wife, who is my rock and support in everything. I love you, Claudia. My two children, 
Jeremiah and Johnny Marie for making me strive to be the best man and father that I can be. Can be. I love you guys. I want to thank all my leaders from my time in the U.S. Navy who inspired me and challenged me to grow and taught me to always strive for excellence. I want to thank all the men and women in the armed forces who support freedom and democracy around the world. If it wasn't for them, we wouldn't be able to live this American dream that we are right now. I am forever grateful for their sacrifices. I want to thank everyone who believed in me when I was a young recruit officer at the academy and young officer on field training on the street. Last, but definitely not least, I want to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for guiding me and keeping us safe every shift. All the glory goes to him, and he is the reason for my life. It is truly a dream come true and a blessing to be a San Francisco police officer. I love my country, I love my city, and the people in it. We will always put ourselves in harm's way to protect people. We will never surrender to evil or those who wish to harm others. We will always restore law and order and bring peace to chaos. We will always answer the call. We will never give up because that's who we are. We're the police. Day or night, 24-7, 365. Today, we are the ones getting recognized, but day in and day out, all across the city, the men and women of this department do amazing things and put their lives on the line so the people of this city can sleep safely in their beds at night. I couldn't be prouder to be part of the San Francisco police. This is for you, brothers and sisters. Thank you very much, and God bless America, and God bless you all. Thank you, Officer Laura, and I should also, uh, I should also uh, thank and acknowledge Commander Derek Jackson, who is here. Officer Brian Neuerberg, the floor is yours. Well, that one might be a little hard to follow up, but uh, I'll do my best here. All right, uh, ladies and gentlemen, Board of Supervisors, and to anyone in the audience or who's listening to this, I'd like to thank you for the recognition today. Most importantly, I want to thank God for watching over Officer Yuen, Officer Lara, myself, and all officers involved that evening. It's a miracle that no one was seriously injured or killed. Lastly, I'd like to thank my partner, Officer Johnny Lara, who was driving our patrol vehicle that day to quickly recognize the threat and back us up even just the slightest to keep us out of danger. This was an ambush-style attack on law enforcement with the use of improvised explosive devices. The suspect had already preloaded his vehicle with explosive devices that were readily available to cause damage, injury, and loss of life. Unfortunately, we ended up being the target of that violent attack. The suspect showed complete disregard for human life that evening, lobbying explosive devices into the street, putting innocent civilians at risk, not only to the pursuing officers. I sleep well knowing that those explosive devices are off the street, that we were able to safely apprehend such a violent suspect. I will continue to serve the city and county of San Francisco proudly. Thank you. Thank you so much, officers.
Our next special order commendation will be from Supervisor Stephanie. Thank you, President Peskin, and I would like to call up Judge Claude Parasso. You can come to the podium. So colleagues, as you know, last month was Italian Heritage Month, but you can come up here if you'd like. Um, and last year we honored the two Grand Marshals and we also did that in November of last year. And so this year again, I'd like to honor our Grand Marshals. Tony Gemignani can't be here today, but we are lucky that uh, Judge Claude Parasso is here with us. It is my great honor to be able to commend him today um, for his service as one of the Grand Marshals of the 155th Italian Heritage Parade last month. Uh, now, like I said, we could have done it, but he went on a cruise to Panama, and uh, he just got back, so we are very excited uh, to have you here with us. Uh, Judge Parasso served in distinction as the Civic Grand Marshal, and I think that word is very fitting considering all that you've given to the city and county of San Francisco. Um, you are, I believe, a true icon and a testament to the American dream and to the Italian-American culture. Um, you is uh, a grandson to Italian immigrants, born to humble beginnings in San Francisco, and grew up in the Marina District, which of course is District 2. There, uh, he met his wife, who has been married to for over 70 years, which you should get an award just for that, I think. Um, despite I'm facing <laughs> early challenges, including um, being told he wasn't graduation material, now I, I heard this in a YouTube video, um, you were, were told that from St. Ignatius. I don't know that Sacred Heart Cathedral would have said that, but uh, you persevered anyway. I, I say that because my kids go to Sacred Heart Cathedral and I know we're rivals. But at the age of 18, and this is so impressive, uh, he joined the Merchant Marines during World War II in the South Pacific, showcasing his dedication to serving his country. Again, the video that I watched about you your Honor, was just absolutely amazing knowing what you did and what you went through um, during World War II. Judge Parasso had a long and distinguished military career, but left the military when his father fell ill, demonstrating his strong sense of family responsibility. After finishing high school, graduating from SI in 1944, he pursued an accounting major at the University of San Francisco, and later he made a pivotal decision to attend law school. For 16 years, he worked as a public defender before earning his appointment to the municipal court bench, when we used to have that, and did that for two years, and later to the superior court bench for a total of 20 years, and he retired in 1991, only to become a pro tem judge for another 15 years, so serving as a judge here for 35 years. As his peers have noted during a tribute to his career, Judge Parasso was a staunch believer in the rule of law and dedicated to enforcing it. He's been described as an outstanding trial judge, an objective criminal court judge, best felony trial judge um, we've ever had. He was known for his deep knowledge and meticulous attention to detail, making him an exceptional settlement judge. Judge Parasso developed a reputation for being incredibly fair, ensuring that justice was served in this courtroom, and I also heard that you better be prepared when you're in front of Judge Parasso. In addition to his judicial career, he was deeply committed to public service. He is widely known and respected for being actively engaged within the North Beach community and the Italian-American community. 
At the parade last month at 97 years young, he was the one that was moving everyone along and really just did not have any patience for the way that the parade was moving this year, which was way too slow. So we all thank you for that. Judge Parasso represents the absolute best of San Francisco's Italian-American community, and I am deeply honored to offer him this commendation for his contributions and for all that you've given, not just the Italian-American community, but for all that you've given the city and county of San Francisco. Thank you so much. I'm just sad that I'm just now getting to know you, but I look forward to getting to know you over um, many years to come. So the floor is yours. <coughs> oh, thank you, Supervisor. Uh, Actually, 65 years ago, I was president of the Columbus State Celebration Committee. And 65 years ago, we, we welcomed our youngest child, who happens to be here today. He can tell you how old he was. But uh, at any rate, I, I think that that's about, I don't want to tell you about all 97 years, so I better stop now. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Your Honor. <laughs> Just want to say one more thing. Instead of flowers today, I got you some good old panettone. So. Yeah. <laughs> Looks like a cake. Come over here. Thank you, Supervisor Stephanie. Good to see you, Judge Parasso. Uh, Madam Clerk, could you please read items 16 and 17 together? Items 16 and 17 are two resolutions that were referred without recommendation from the Budget and Finance Committee. These two resolutions approve the Recreation and Park Department's General Manager's Declaration of an Emergency under Administrative Code Section 6.60 for item uh, 16, this is for the repairs to the Trocadero Clubhouse with an estimated not to extend, not to exceed amount of 1.8 million. And for item 17, for winter storm cleanup at Sigmund Stern Grove and other recreation and park facilities with an estimated not to exceed cost of 2.1 million. Supervisor Chan. Thank you, uh, President Peskin. Colleagues, um, these two items came out of the committee without recommendation. Um, it's really uh, also based on the budget and legislative analyst report. Um, through the evaluation, uh, we identified the fact that San Francisco Recreation and Park Department did not comply or did not follow through the entire administrative code section 6.6 to um, submit the resolution within 60 days of the declaration of emergency, um, which creates you know, a problem uh, or problematic, um, you know, uh, issues for, for the committee to consider this as a emergency declaration, which as you know, it also means that it's really allowing the department to go about these type of um, repair uh, with so sort and without, uh, so, so, so source contract without competitive bidding. And um, with that, um, we, have sent it to you 
and present to you today with that recommendation, but it is a commitment from the department that they will now, uh, within 30 days of approval of this, these uh, two declarations, that they will submit uh, change to the protocol to be able to ratify and correct you know, the, to make sure that it just, this doesn't happen again, that they will uh, submit resolution within 60 days of the declaration of the emergency. Um, it is also my intent that we will continue to work with city uh, attorney um, and figure out ways to uh, potentially make amendments uh, to administrative code section 6.6 .6, um, to really codify the not to exceed amount um, and to really uh, figure out a way to enforce the 60 days um, submission. So with that, I still urge for your support today, uh, even though these two items uh, came out to the committee with that recommendation. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Chair Chan. Seeing no other names on the roster, we will take these items, same house, same call. The resolutions are adopted. Next item, please. Item 18 is a resolution to approve the first amendment to the contract between five keys schools and programs and the Department of Homelessness in support of housing for supportive services and property management at the 685 Ellis semi-congregate shelter to extend the contract term by 31 months, November 30th, 2023, uh, through December, uh, through June 30th, 2026. Seeing no names on the roster, same house, same call, the resolution is adopted. Next item, please. Item 19, ordinance to amend the health code to require that sites that collect medical specimens on behalf of clinical laboratories that partner with either a governmental entity, a licensed healthcare provider located in the city, or an educational or academic institution, establish hygiene, sanitation, and privacy standards, and adhere to the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act, and provide that a violation of the specimen collection standards is a public health nuisance subject to an administrative penalty that may be imposed by the Department of Public Health. Supervisor Preston. Thank you, President Peskin um, and colleagues. I wanted to uh, provide some context on this. It's been an important issue, particularly in the Tenderloin, to some extent South of Market, um, and, and definitely in the Mission um, as well. Um, and, and perhaps in some of your, your districts too. But I wanted to give some context but, and also explain some amendments uh, that I've circulated to you all. Um, so this ordinance that's be, before us, the uh, Safe Swab Ordinance, is the result of extensive discussions with uh, SFPD, DPW, the City Attorney's Office, the Health Officer, and other stakeholders. And our office first looked into crafting legislation after a number of very questionable COVID testing tents uh, started appearing uh, around the city, uh, and in particular in the Tenderloin, um, and reportedly paying vul vulnerable constituents to ostensibly test them for uh, COVID. Um, as reported by our constituents, they, the people operating the tents were paying people $5 each to take these tests. Uh, they were making copies of people's private identity identity documents, uh, taking swabs without wearing any PPE, and then um, not returning test results to people. 
Um, so unfortunately, when we reached out to the various departments, including SFPD, the city attorney's office, and uh, Department of Public Works, and uh, DPH, uh, we were told that these departments could not shut down these sites for a variety of reasons, including the lack of specific regulations for these types of sites that had existed but expired at the end of the health officer's emergency order that expired in February of 2023. Um, so despite the serious apparent risks uh, for vulnerable constituents and residents um, around the city, we found no department willing to shut down these sites or even fully investigate what was happening with our constituents' information and private uh, medical material um, we were informed that the expiration, as I mentioned, of that health order, uh, because of that, that the law was unclear and difficult to enforce. So we set out to draft an ordinance that would give departments the tools they said they needed to prioritize enforcement against these sites and protect our uh, vulnerable constituents from potential fraud, identity theft, uh, and violations of medical privacy. Now, while this legislation was pending, the health officer, Dr. Susan Phillip, issued an emergency order modeled uh, on this legislation to start enforcement against these sites for the purpose of protecting uh, public health during respiratory virus season. Um, and that was an important step, and I really want to commend the health officer for issuing this order, which has enabled some limited enforcement to begin. Um, in the process of enforcing the new health order, DPH uh, learned that some of these pop-up tent operations are significantly more sophisticated in their operations than originally anticipated, and in order to make sure the ordinance is as strong as possible and deters the worst actors, uh, DPH has requested some additional amendments uh, while this was forwarded to the full board to facilitate enforcement and to address issues DPH has faced in trying to shut uh, these sites down. Uh, city Attorney's Office has approved these amendments as to form. My office has circulated them uh, to all of you. We're advised that these amendments are substantive and will require uh, further public comment in committee. Broadly, these amendments, I won't read them all uh, unless the City Attorney tells me I have to, uh, but the, broadly they, they will um, outlaw while giving DPH flexibility to waive if needed, the practice of paying people to take these respiratory virus tests. Uh, they will also attach misdemeanor penalties, which will make it easier to ensure that these sites can be fully investigated and prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law if they're engaged in criminal activity related to people's data or medical material. Um, so my hope uh, is that I can duplicate this ordinance, make the amendment, uh, which will be sent to committee, uh, and thank you. Uh, Chair Stephanie, for uh, your willingness to, to hear this soon um, and your collaboration on this. Um, I would ask that we still pass this ordinance today to ensure the law is clarified and that the enforcement mechanism exists and do that as soon as possible, even as we're finalizing the new amendments suggested by DPH as they tackle ongoing and evolving uh, enforcement issues. Um, finally, I want to thank some people for their work on this. This has been a, a long process, um, and in particular, health officers, uh, Dr. Susan Phillip, as I mentioned, uh, 
Anna Valicic of uh, DPH, um, Deputy City Attorneys Henry Lifton and Ann Pearson. Um, and I also want to thank my early co-sponsor, Supervisor Ronan, uh, as well as Chair Stephanie and uh, PSNS committee members and Guardio and Dorsey for their support of this ordinance in committee. Uh, and lastly, my legislative aide, Melissa Hernandez, for all her work on this important ordinance. So colleagues, I'd, I'd like to duplicate the file, Madam Clerk, uh, pass the original today uh, with your support, uh, amend the duplicate, and send the amended duplicate to committee as required for further public comment on the new amendment. So Supervisor President, let me repeat that. Pat, duplicate the file, which is your sole and absolute authority, and then amend the duplicate, send the duplicate back to committee for public comment, and approve the original file as presented. Exactly. Thank Supervisor you. Supervisor Dorsey. Thank you, President Peskin. I just wanted to express my appreciation to Supervisor Preston for his work on this. We talked about this, and this, these, these um, sites are a phenomenon around SOMA, so I really appreciate um, the work that they're doing. And I, having worked with the folks at uh, DPH and the city attorney's office who worked on this, I know that they're doing great work. I'd like to be added as a co-sponsor. Thank you, Supervisor Dorsey. It shall be noted. So uh, Supervisor Preston has duplicated item 19 and uh, is uh, presumably made a motion to amend the duplicated file. Is there a second for that motion? Second by Supervisor Stephanie. We will take the amendment without objection, and then we will motion to send the duplicated file as amended back to committee for public comment. Motion made by Supervisor Preston. Second by Supervisor Walton, without objection, we will send the duplicated file as amended back to committee. And on the original file, same house, same call, the ordinance is passed on first reading. Madam Clerk, could you please read item 20? Item 20, this is a resolution to determine that the person-to-person, premise-to-premise transfer of a Type 48 on sale general public premises liquor license to 7682 LLC to do business as the Fig and Thistle located at 313 Ivy Street will serve the public convenience and to request that the California Department of Alcoholic Beverage Control impose conditions on the issuance of the license. Same house, same call, the resolution is adopted. Next item. Yes. Item 21, a committee report. This item was com considered by the Government Audit and Oversight Committee at a regular meeting on Thursday, November 2nd, and was recommended as, a, as amended, bearing the same title as a committee report. Item 21 is a resolution to respond to the presiding judge of the Superior Court on the findings and recommendations contained in the 2022 through 23 Civil Grand Jury Report entitled Taking Care of Business, San Francisco's Plan to Save Its Small Businesses and to urge the mayor to cause the implementation of accepted findings and recommendations through her department heads and through the development of the annual budget. Seeing no names on the roster, same house, same call, the resolution is adopted. Let's go to roll call for introductions. First member up to introduce new business is Supervisor Stephanie. River, oh, good, 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 okay. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Sorry, that took me a minute and it came up fast. 
colleagues, today I'm introducing a letter of inquiry focused on the creation of a survivor's garden where victims and survivors of gun violence, as well as their loved ones, can grieve, rest, and heal together. Uh, the idea comes at a unique uh, opportunity. This past year, the San Francisco Giants Foundation and the Levi Strauss Foundation joined together to create the Striking Out Gun Violence Campaign, an initiative that highlights the epidemic of gun violence in our communities, and they've highlighted this campaign at many of their home games uh, this past season. In addition to the in-game programming, the foundation has jointly donated 25,000 to four organizations engaged in gun violence prevention advocacy, and one of those organizations is Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America. Led by those directly impacted by gun violence, Moms Demand Action hopes to use this money to create this survivor's garden somewhere here in San Francisco. With this opportunity, San Francisco can once again be at the forefront of this issue and create space for those suffering from the devastating toll of gun violence in this city, in this state, in this country. This letter asks the department's address to identify available public land um, close to the waterfront in Oracle Park for this proposed healing garden close to the San Francisco Giants. Um, uh, and additionally, uh, we have, we've asked the Office of Economic and Workforce Development to study public-private partnerships of the past and present um, that may be able to help make this project a reality. I look forward to getting answers to these questions and to initiate the process necessary to bring about this healing space for survivors. And I want to thank Supervisor Walton for his partnership on this as well. So thank you. Thank you, Supervisor Stephanie. Supervisor Walton. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Colleagues, today I have two in memoriams. The first in memoriam is for Sylvia Jean Whitley. With profound sadness and deep reverence, the people of the Bayview Hunters Point community in San Francisco Bay Area gathered to remember and honor the remarkable life of Sylvia Whitley, a woman of extraordinary strength and resilience. Sylvia Whitley faced a plethora of obstacles with unyielding determination demonstrating unwavering courage in the face of adversity and inspiring all who knew her with her tenacity and fortitude. Her tough, indomitable spirit and unwavering strength served as a guiding light, illuminating the path for others to find their own resilience, even in the most hopeless times. Sylvia's ability to overcome challenges, rise above hardships, and emerge stronger epitomizes the true essence of human perseverance, teaching us all the power of hope, optimism, and inner fortitude. Her life story, marked by triumphs over tribulations, serves as a testament to the strength of human spirit and a reminder that resilience, coupled with firm determination, can conquer even the most daunting obstacles. We stand in awe of Sylvia's ability to transform adversity into opportunities for growth and learning, leaving an enduring legacy of strength, courage, and grace. She will be extremely missed. The second in memoriam is for Moselle Brooks, known to the Bayview Hunters Point community as the Queen of Soul Food. Born in Kilgore, Texas on April 7, 1937, Moselle Brooks only resided in Texas for a short time before she migrated to San Francisco. After the passing of her mother at a young age, Moselle was sent to San Francisco to live with family members. Moselle attended Mission High and as a young adult, 
she worked as an assistant in a restaurant owned by a woman who encouraged her to open her own restaurant. The woman also suggested that she name the restaurant after herself. Moselle opened her restaurant, Moselle's Kitchen, in the early 70s on Divisadero Street in the Fillmore, and in the mid-1980s, she relocated to the Bayview District. The purple awning reading Moselle's Kitchen adored 62, adorned 6286 3rd Street for more than two decades, serving delicious Texas Southern-style soul food. Moselle was known for her direct personality and her memorable Moselle fried chicken. In order to get her famous fried chicken, you literally would have to say, I would like an order of Moselle's fried chicken. In 1999, Mayor Willie Brown recognized her with the plaque for her service. Moselle also mentored several cooks, which included her most notably, her most notable protege, Art of Art Soul Food on Debochi Street. Moselle Soul Food was the best in the city. Known for her limited hours and long lines, she served celebrity guests like Bill Russell and Nate Thurman. As she entered her senior years, Moselle closed her restaurant and retreated to a senior lifestyle but on occasions, she would sell plates from her home. On Saturday, November 4th, 2023, Moselle peacefully departed the world, leaving behind her only daughter, Maybelline Mabel. The rest I submit. Thank you, Supervisor Walton. Supervisor Chan, submit. Thank you, Supervisor Dorsey. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Colleagues, today I'm introducing legislation. Um, that should help set the stage for construction of around 1,000 units of housing in my district. The ordinance I am proposing will waive certain impact fees for projects that are in the zone of influence for the uh, planned downtown extension tunnel, formerly known as DTX, now known as the portal, uh, which include enhanced foundations and shoring systems to mitigate potential impacts from the portal tunnel. Uh, for eligible projects, the Eastern Neighborhoods Infrastructure Impact Fee and the Transportation Sustainability Fee would be waived in an amount commensurate with the net increase in cost, including the enhanced foundation and shoring systems. Um, these impact fees are intended to support the increased demand for public transportation systems and to support new transportation infrastructure. Uh, it is reasonable, I think, to waive these uh, fees to support proposed development projects that enhance their own buildings to ensure no impact uh, on the portal project delivery. I want to thank uh, Ann Topier and Lee Lutensky from the Office of, the, of Economic and Workforce Development for all of their work on this. As everybody knows, we have very ambitious uh, RENA goals uh, of more than 82,000 units in our eight-year housing element cycle. Reaching that, or hopefully getting close, is going to take the entire kitchen sink of solutions, and this waiver is one of them. So I'm excited to bring it forward, and I hope to earn your support for it, and the rest I submit. Thank you, Supervisor Dorsey. Supervisor Ringardio. Submit, thank you. Supervisor Mandelman. Submit, thank you. Supervisor Peskin. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Colleagues, today I'd like to adjourn the Board of Supervisors meeting in the memory of some uh, extraordinary, two extraordinary individuals, starting with the late, great Master Lu Yi, one of the greatest acrobatic performers and teachers of all times who recently succumbed to Parkinson's disease just short of his 84th birthday. Master Lu Yi was the master teacher at Pickle Family Circus 
and Circus Center and his journey to reshape the athletic craft of acrobatics into a modern art form led him all over the world but originated in a classic showbiz story in China. Uh, he was born to a poor family of scavengers and farmers in Jiangsu, China uh, and arrived in Shanghai via a long journey down the Yangtze River at a very young age and immediately set about finding scraps of tobacco that he could repackage to sell and found the uh, performers at the Daishi Center were apparently heavy smokers. Scavenging around uh, the entertainment center and swooping up tobacco scraps eventually led to someone introducing this intrepid 11-year-old kid to the acrobatics troop leader. Chinese acrobatics, though a millennia-old art form, was not widely seen in the West until Master Liu began touring Australia in the 1980s with his Nanjing Acrobatics Troupe, which was previously known as the Shanghai Red Acrobatic Troupe, and before that, the Qing Q Acrobatics Troupe. Chinese performers mostly stayed in China or performed in other socialist-friendly countries, he recalled in his 2023 autobiography. His training in the art of Chinese acrobatics eventually led him to bring it out west to the United States, where he went on to work as a master teacher for our own beloved Pickle Family Circus right here in San Francisco. Those that trained with him included our own original cast and artistic crew of the widely popular at Club Fugazi Dear San Francisco Acrobatics production. And for those of you who have not yet seen it, go see it. Uh, that has helped rejuvenate uh, Club Fugazi in North Beach after a 45-year run uh, by Beach Blanket. Uh, I've been to numerous productions of Dear San Francisco, and Master Lu Yi was often recognized, and I had the honor of meeting him uh, when some of his disciples and trainees who are part of the Dear San Francisco performance uh, all gave him a standing ovation. Uh, the artists who trained with him included Montreal Seven Fingers Circus Company founder Gypsy Snyder, as well as many of the acrobats who perform at Club Fugazi, uh, every week. Everyone who trained with him has spoken of his raw creativity and grit, all of which are on display. Uh, if you go see Dear San Francisco, I'm putting in a big plug for that. Master Lu Yi did not concern himself with the pretty grace of ballet, but rather the basic miracles of the human body to contort and move in spectacular ways to tell the stories of human perseverance, love, grief, and adventure. Two of dear San Francisco's acrobats, Enming Song and Cheng Nan Pan, a married couple who trained under him, uh, used dear San Francisco performances to elevate the craft and educate the audience about the beauty and deep history of Chinese acrobatics. In dear San Francisco, when the couple performed the Daibolo, uh, which is a type of yo-yo with an hourglass-shaped hour body that's manipulated by two batons, it's in honor of Lou, and they say uh, in Mandarin at the end of their performance, thank you, teacher. Um, I know that uh, they are, uh, everybody is grieving uh, for him, the entire extended family of acrobats and performers and artists who were touched and shaped by Master Lu Yi. Um, and I want to extend our deepest condolences to all of them, his surviving wife, Wang Hong Zhu in Berkeley, daughters Lu 
you and Lou Na and four grandsons, may the memory of his power and grace live on. I would also, in partnership with Supervisor Ronan, like to adjourn today's board meeting in the memory of another extraordinary individual, A.D. Barkin, a lifelong progressive activist and founder, founding director of Local Progress, a network of more than 1,500 local elected officials nationwide that work to support each other to advance racial and economic justice, which I know some of you are members of. He was probably most well known for his relentless advocacy and support for Medicare for All, even after being diagnosed with ALS, the terminal uh, neurodegenerative disease that he eventually succumbed to at the all too young age of 39 years old. His death at Santa Barbara Cottage Hospital was announced by the political nonprofit Be a Hero that he co-founded in 2018 to fight for health justice in the United States. Even as A.D. confronted his own mortality after being diagnosed with this terminal disease four months after the birth of his son, he pushed on and dedicated the rest of his short life to changing the American healthcare system. It was his passion and his singular pursuit. He put his personal story at the center of the public health care debate, testifying before Congress, interviewing Democratic presidential hopefuls in his living room in Santa Barbara, and speaking out at the Democratic National Convention. His testimony and advocacy emboldened others to come forward and to take an interest in an issue that impacts millions of Americans. Affordable, effective, and accessible health care should be something that every single American can rely on and care about. But of course, this has not been the case, particularly as we've seen medical debt destroy families and force people to even lose their homes. In 2019, A.D. told the New York Times, that's the paradox of my situation. As my voice has gotten weaker, more people have heard my message. As I lost my ability to walk, more people have followed in my footsteps. He truly started a movement that has helped put health care reform at the forefront of the national democratic agenda. Ohad A.D. Barkin was born on December 18, 1983 in Boston. His mother, Diana Buchwald, is a professor of the history of science at the California Institute of Technology. His father, Elazar Barkin, is a professor of international and public affairs at Columbia. Both immigrated to the United States from Israel. Adie was raised in Cambridge, Massachusetts and attended high school in Claremont. One of his first forays into politics was volunteering on an election campaign for Representative Adam Schiff of California. He met his wife, Rachel, who is now a professor of English at UC Santa Barbara at Columbia University's student newspaper when they were undergraduates there. Initially wanting to be a lawyer, Mr. Barkin was a clerk for a federal judge in New York after law school, but he quickly decided to become a full-time activist after being inspired by the historic Occupy Wall Street protests that began in Lower Manhattan in 2011. In 2018, he was arrested in his wheelchair in a Senate office building as he protested the Supreme Court nomination of Brett Kavanaugh. That same year, he traveled to 22 states in 40 days to advocate for affordable health care with an energy unmatched by most activists who were not living paralyzed in a wheelchair. In a video celebrating 80's 39th birthday, his young son Carl summarized his father's life's work with remarkable economy and touching clarity. He helps to make sure it's not too expensive for people to go to the doctor. My deepest condolences to 80's parents, his wife Rachel, their children, his brother Mookie, 
and really the incredible extended family across the globe that he has inspired, including right here in our chamber. The rest I shall submit. Thank you, Mr. President. Supervisor Preston. Thank you, Madam Clerk. And um, first, thank you, President Peskin, uh, for your um, in memoriam for A.D. Barkin. And please add um, my name to that. And I want to extend my condolences to uh, uh, Mr. Barkin's family and, and loved ones and, and very much appreciate uh, your uh, comments on this incredible, inspiring activist uh, and leader. And may he rest in power. I have uh, two items uh, today uh, that I'm introducing. Uh, first, I am introducing a resolution to rename the mural-covered block of Shannon Alley between O'Farrell and Geary uh, to Veterans Alley. The Veterans Alley mural project, uh, known as Veterans Alley or Vets Alley for short, was founded in October 2011 by Amos Gregory and Gabriel Lovato, two U.S. military veterans living in the Tenderloin. At that time, Shannon Alley was a blighted alleyway, an inactive area nestled between Geary and O'Farrell uh, and between Jones and Taylor. Keenly aware of the high homeless veteran population in the neighborhood, the two believed that by transforming the alley, they would help transform the community. Soon they began the mural project and invited other veterans and their loved ones to add to the walls. For many of San Francisco's veterans, this is the first time they've been able to share their stories and process their military experience in a positive and productive way. Vets Alley's become a gathering place for San Francisco's veterans to find camaraderie with other veterans, to uplift the dialogue about the realities of war and the military experience, and to find services for veterans who are struggling. The art draws a regular crowd of visitors from San Francisco residents from across the city to international tourists. The, the artists of Veterans Alley have done an incredible job of keeping the alley safe and clean through community engagement. Um, and they host regular block parties and events to bring life to the formerly inactive block. Um, when my office first welcomed the Tenderloin as part of our district after redistricting, one of the first meetings I had was with the Veterans Alley mural project uh, to meet with Amos and other artists. Um, and we've been working together to support uh, their efforts uh, on Vets Alley. I'm extremely proud that we're here today to honor the art artists and importance of the Veterans Alley mural project through this street renaming. And I want to thank the co-founder of Veterans Alley, Amos Gregory, uh, for bringing this idea uh, to our office and working with our office on this effort. Uh, I'd also like to thank my early co-sponsors, uh, Supervisors Walton, Dorsey, and Safai. Second uh, item, colleagues, as you may know, um, if you've checked your inbox today, the Budget and Legislative Analyst released its audit on our city's street crisis teams. Um, and uh, I am requesting a hearing on the audit findings and recommendations. I, I called for this audit last year because I truly believe that these teams are an essential part of responding to the crises on our streets in a way that prioritizes people's health and well-being, and that an audit will help us ensure that these teams are operating at the highest level possible with the support and oversight 
they require. We want to make sure our city gets this right. The audit, which reviewed a five-year period of time and 11 different street teams, is the first performance audit on these teams following the city's rapid expansion of street teams since the start of the pandemic. There's no doubt that these teams have saved countless lives, connected people to services they desperately needed, and helped de-escalate situations that could have otherwise become tragic. I am grateful to all of the, these workers and departments that are undertaking this difficult and essential work. But there's no sugarcoating it. The audit found some areas that will require serious improvement. Some of the major recommendations included improvements to coordination and referrals, implementation of regular reports on outcomes and performance metrics, significant improvements to departmental uh, contract monitoring, and planning for success by building high demand teams capacity. The audit also included findings that the Department of Public Health in particular failed to adequately monitor its contracts and that in fact one street team operated without a contract for over a year. I look forward to engaging with Department of Public Health and getting their perspective and plans for immediately addressing these issues. And I also look forward to working with DEM, HSH, and the Fire Department to discuss the findings and recommendations directed at each respective department as well. And I want to highlight there were 11 street teams reviewed, and the findings and recommendations relating to each of these departments vary quite a bit. Finally, I want to thank Dan Goncher and Lyndon Berry of the Budget and Legislative Analyst's Office for their hard work on this audit uh, and to all the departments for their collaboration with the BLA um, in helping them get this audit out the door. Uh, and I also want to thank my legislative aide, Melissa Hernandez, for her work on this. Um, and lastly, I want to recognize and thank all the city workers and partners who are in the streets doing the hard work as part of these street teams uh, who deserve to be supported by this administration with the best possible coordination, data systems, and referral resources. I'm looking forward to this hearing. And the rest I submit. Thank you, Supervisor Preston. Supervisor Safai, submit, thank you. Mr. President, seeing no names on the roster, that that concludes the new introduction of business. Let's go to general public comment. For those of you who are here in the chamber and you're here to provide public comment, that's right, please line up on your right-hand side of the room. Uh, we are uh, receiving public comment on, you can speak to the October 3rd, 2023 board meeting minutes, item 24 on the for adoption without reference to committee calendar. But all other agenda content has already had its public comment fulfilled. So if you find that I'm interrupting you, it's because you'll have to uh, redirect your comments. And so uh, please don't speak to anything on the agenda except the October 3rd board meeting minutes or item 24. Let's hear from our first speaker, please. Welcome. So is this general public comment? Yes. yes. Okay. Um, so my name's Chris Ward-Klein and I wanted to bring to the Board of Supervisors a concern that I think everyone already knows because I've been forwarding emails to each of you. A few in the city and county of San Francisco have weaponized public health by giving false medical diagnosis and symptoms in order to place people on digital surveillance to assimilate them for personal, political, and religious greed. Surveillance equipment can be used, can also use ultrasound to create false medical symptoms. I presented my research to the Department of Defense, the CDC, and H Health and Human Services. Just the other day, I also submitted a United Nations Human Rights Council report on these few individuals. 
I have sent portions of this communication to each of the Board of Supervisors. On Monday, to counter this, the CDC issued a news release stating that four airports would increase testing in their surveillance authority, otherwise known as state secret, secrets privilege. However, this only applies to lawful usages, and this airport surveillance program was actually rolled out in 2021, over two years ago, with 300,000 tests performed. Today, I'm asking the Board of Supervisors to present a resolution or legislation to restrict illegal surveillance and create oversight of the SFO CDC global migration and quarantine team and to restrict, monitor, and impose penalties from illegal influence. Currently, the mayor has an illegal agreement with public health officials at SFO, LAX, and New York City to illegally place mental health situational awareness on elected and appointed leaders in the city and county of San Francisco. This will be coming out in the very near future. For more, infor for more information on digital surveillance, I would recommend readings from RAND Corporation or other respected news media to include Forbes, Wired, and expect media giants like the New York Times and Wall Street Jour Journal to report on this in the coming days. Um, I have much more, but I'm just gonna wrap it up. The Michigan University, the Ill illegal technologies being used as state secrets technology, and that would be being reported probably within the very next few days. Um, I urge you to take this matter and treat it with the utmost importance. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Next speaker, please. Hi, good afternoon, Honorary Board of Supervisors. My name is Mohammed Yasser. I'm an essential worker, work for DPW, and a proud member of IFPTE Local 21, a chapter president for Field Operation Chapter, and a proud San Franciscan. Here with me today are my fellow street inspectors and essential workers and supervisors and Local 21 members. We are responsible for maintaining public right-of-way, make sure that the path of travel is safe in San Francisco for pedestrians, especially with the people with disability. And we also make sure that the construction sites are in compliance, the utility work is safe, the trenches and no potholes. And we are the ones who make sure that businesses in the city follow permit requirements. And now we have to do another assignment, which came through a state legislation, which we believe is out of our job description. And we have to work with PD out in the field, and we get, they have had things thrown at them. Our inspectors have been offered bulletproof vests, and they have been punched, they have been popped. This is Rachel Gordon, the spokesperson of San Francisco Public Works, talking to ABC News on October 19th. Today we are asking the Board of Supervisors to support these essential workers who work day and night to make the city safe, to urge the department to meet and propose solutions to keep our workplace safe, which we have been asking for months. My coworkers are here to share their experiences and what they've been going through on a daily basis. Thank you very much. Thank you for your comments. Next speaker, welcome. Hello, good afternoon. I have a couple pictures, so can we'll I put them on the screen? Yes, or place them there. We'll come and collect them from you. My name is Teresa McNamara. 
I'm a senior street inspector for the Department of Public Works. I have been an employee of the city and county of San Francisco for over 12 years, and I have lived in San Francisco for my entire life. I've practiced this a lot to try to get the tears out, but here they come. That's okay. Did you want uh, SFGov TV to show what is on the overhead projector? Uh, not yet. Okay. Thank you. Uh, I love my city and I take great pride in the work I perform every day to make it a better place. I welcome challenges and strive to be outstanding at my job. I have been failing lately, or at least feeling like a failure. A little over a year ago, I was given a task that over time has broken my spirit and enthusiasm. This may sound dramatic, but the toll that the street vendor enforcement assignment has put on me and my family has been significant. My mental health is suffering, and sadly, it's affecting my family and friends, too. They watch me cry and struggle with panic attacks that I never had before this assignment. I'm here today to plead for your help for me and all the BSM inspectors. To give a brief overview, the city's vendor enforcement program requires us to ensure that our local street vendors have obtained their required permits and that they're following the city's guidelines for where and when they can sell their goods. I'm sure we can all agree that that's, at first glance, sounds like the task the public streets inspectors are perfectly equipped to handle. The problem is the vendor enforcement assignment makes no distinction between legitimate street vendors and armed people with stolen goods. Our management has interpreted our vending duties to include impounding these stolen items from people who are often under the influence of drugs and often experiencing mental health issues, a task for which we have no training and, and no adequate protection. You can imagine the dangers this would create for me and my colleagues. This program has become a living nightmare for us over the last year. In 2018, when I accepted Teresa the position- McNamara, thank you for your comments. Your time has I expired. Show the pictures but we're quickly. happy to come and collect that from you and we'll provide it to the members of the board. This is what, this is what I- Did you want us to take those photos from you? Happy to do so. Arthur, thank you, we'll come get them from you. Thank you for your comments. Next speaker, please. Yes, Alastair Johns, um, Street Inspector, Bureau of Street Use and Mapping, Public Works. Um, okay, the Street Vendor Enforcement Program is ineffectual, counterproductive, and a psychological and physical safety risk for us. Uh, reasons for this include uh, despite police presence, street in inspectors are subject to extreme verbal abuse and threats of harm to, uh, to ourselves and sometimes our families. Uh, example, uh, illegal vendors and their associates have brandished weapons, including knives and pipes, and uh, in one instance, in my presence, um, um, said they had a gun. <laughs> um, um, they approach us in a threatening manner and even shove or push us. You know, um, even the police escort doesn't prevent this behavior as it is even directed to them as well. The fact that the police accept these personal um, insults and threats of violence promotes an atmosphere of lawlessness, uh, which extends to the entire cycle that the program is meant to disrupt. That is wanton theft of all manner of goods from retail and individuals sold illegally on the street 
uh, often um, with the money used to buy drugs on open-air um, drug markets uh, in the immediate vicinity. Um, this cycle of crime needs to be addressed by law enforcement both before, uh, during, and after uh, our street uh, vending enforcement duties. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you, honorary board members, uh, Mr. President Peskin. Thank you for giving us those three minutes to express to you how we feel. I'm Fadi Khoury. I've been serving the department for over 10 years with this capacity here at Public Works. Uh, my intention today is to ensure you know that our inspectors are feeling unsafe performing this task. When we first received the word that we're going to be enforcing street vending and permitting them, I immediately had flashback to my childhood back when I grew up in war-torn Lebanon. My grandmother had to store to uh, vending off the street out in the outskirts of town. And I would go play there with her, didn't know what's going on, and see her making a living to support us. Move forward to this task I've had over here. I go down to the streets of San Francisco. I can see myself with those parents trying to make a living in there. I can see my grandma in them. I know that all my supervisors in there have that instilled in them that we treat the vendors with respect, compassion, and we help them to go through it. The problem we're having is not with our permitted street vendors. It's with people who are not capable to mentally function on the streets who have illegal substances and weapons, who've threatened us often. You're going to hear that today. I've been punched once, and that didn't hurt as much as going back to the same street and get it taunted by the same person who punched me. We're trying to carry out our duties to making the streets cleaner and passable and available for every San Franciscan. But that's the risk we're dealing with. Add to it that in the recent incident at the port when we had one of our colleagues suspended, we still don't know why and how we can prevent these actions from happening. Here we are sent back to the same streets and greeted by those unpermitted vendors taunting us and ridiculing the work we do. And now we have a second fear that we don't know if our employer got our back. We haven't heard one leader in the city saying we will not permit street vending on the street. Thank you, Freddie Hoody. Welcome back to the chamber. Former member of the board, John Avalos. Thank you, uh, members of the Board of Supervisors. I'm actually speaking in my former capacity as a member of the Board of Supervisors and uh, a good friend of Adi Barkin and uh, former chair of uh, Local Progress, the network of elected officials nationwide. Um, I'm really at a loss for words. Um, I'm terribly heartbroken with the loss of Adi, but I think it's important for um, this body to know just what his contributions were to uh, not just members of the Board of Supervisors, but the general public uh, here in San Francisco uh, and across the country. Uh, Adi drew great inspiration from cities like San Francisco and was really committed to um, the public good, building inclusive economies and imagining our institutions serving the public, uh, the general public, and not just the rich and powerful. And he dedicated his life to that. 
every to the last very moment, despite uh, living with ALS, and every precious moment was uh, a fight uh, to get his word out. Um, I had the honor of knowing him and his family and visiting him just this last July, and uh, visited with my daughter, and it was just incredible to see just um, his caring heart and his fight and commitment to building a better society. Through Local Progress, um, he convened, uh, Local Progress convened elected officials from all over the country, and we united around uh, what was really our role in actually setting politics aside and, and practicing good governance. And it's something that we lose sight of um, as elected officials, that we often fight just to survive the day, uh, but often um, lose sight of what we're trying to build for the future. Audi was a constant reminder of that and dedicated his life, his very last breath to that happening. Um, and for San Francisco, um, there are many places where Audi was able to take members of local progress who worked in this body here uh, to Washington, D.C., to New York, to Seattle, to fight for um, minimum wage above $15 an hour, to fight for public banking, uh, to actually ensure that our federal government looked after workers uh, and labor. Uh, all of these things are part of uh, Adi's rich legacy. And um, I'm just very grateful that he's recognized here today. Um, his stature is one of the greatest in this country and, uh, and live, lives to, on to uh, both serve the servants uh, who provide uh, the care for this world uh, and also provide the care that this world really needs. So uh, thank you uh, in honor of Vadi Barkin, American hero, presente. Thank you for your comments. Someone left their phone here. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't think I can top that, but good afternoon, motherfuckers. My name is Jordan. My pronouns are she, her, they, them. I want to express how that much that movie Idiocracy is an exaggerated and dystopian version of the political discourse in this city and beyond. We get some fuckheads using discriminatory language. We collectively punish people by ending remote public comment, forcing me to drag my ass he here. Restore remote public comment, please. Also, this board allows two supervisors to play hooky in Japan to fact-find on issues that are not even within the fucking subject matter jurisdiction of this board. You all respond to the issues in our city's charter with more fucking power for the mayor, which is what's just causing all the fucked-up shit in this city, along with a culture of feel-good edicts and political masturbation from our mayoral dictatorship that feels like a pro-wrestler shooting an AR-15 in the air just to show off. One of the four most experts on homelessness also puts out a peer-reviewed piece confirming how housing unaffordability drives homelessness. I'm talking about Margot Kushel here. I have to see Twitter troglodytes and homeless-hating shitheads who have no expertise on this subject other than random anecdotes second-guessing her. Such discourse sounds more like a genteel version of you sound like an F-slur and your shit is all R-slur. That's from the movie Idiocracy. Watch it. Also, fuck the Italian Heritage Parade. I'm Italian myself and I think it should be shut down, moved to another month, and purged of the Columbus bullshit. The North Beach Red Sauce aristocracy and the three wannabe Republicans be damned. We need to be a hero like Adi Barkin and call out neoliberal bullshit in local, state, and federal politics and look to long-lasting thoughtful policy that will always be, that also will be a winner electorally. 
Let's not water our crops with energy drinks, both figuratively and literally. I yield my time. Fuck you. Next speaker, please. I'll start off with a joke. How many city employees does it take to handle an unpermitted hot dog vendor at the pier? The answer, 11. Four SFPD for safety, two from public health for the food, two from public works for transport and labor, one from fire department for the propane, and two from port on jurisdiction. No one's laughing because that is the amount of, alloc uh, amount of resources allocated this past Sunday for something two cops were able to do before. Good afternoon, district supervisors. I'm going to introduce myself as some city employee given that is my worth to my department in this city. I am a street inspector supervisor at Public Works and I have been reluctantly participating in this policy experiment in which you call street vendor enforcement. I want to share some of my experience, experiences with you all. I have personally been involved in tug of wars with unpermitted street vendors, have been spat on, my boots stepped on, and verbally threatened with some of the most vile and racist language on a regular basis, and physically assaulted while doing this shift all while my mental health continues to be chipped away every time I do this job. I am constantly being recorded and hypervigilant that I will end up being doxxed while doing my duty as a public servant. We are put out there at least once a week for shifts that can last anywhere between an hour up to an entire day. I've seen this program grow from voluntary participation at Mission and 24th to now the entire corridor between 16th to 24th Street, UN Plaza, Union Square, Chinatown, Port, and the ever-expanding areas which you all keep asking public works staff to start actively enforcing. My department has made it clear that street vendor enforcement trumps all other aspects of our job duties, is now mandatory, and refusing to do it will be met with disciplinary action. The public works mantra is to hold employee safety paramount to all else. What a joke. It's pretty laughable when they continue to send us out like cannon fodder with this half-baked policy and safety procedures. No matter how many citations we issue and the hundreds of pounds of stolen merchandise we impound, the unpermitted street vendors continue to grow without consequence. As we confiscate items, I have been told, go ahead and take it. I'm going to steal more stuff and be back out here tomorrow on multiple occasions. When I issue a citation, I am typically denied, cursed, or laughed at. As city employees, that is not a police officer. What authority do I have to compel someone to provide me their identification? As someone who rides public transportation before and after work every day, what, public, what police protection do I have after our... Thank you for your comments. Sir, if you'd like us to take your, your speaking points, we can add it to the minutes. Sir, if you'd like us to take your written comments, we'll add it to the minutes. Sir, if you'd like us to take your comments, we're happy to add it to the minutes. And, and Madam Clerk, without uh, running afoul of the city attorney, let, let me say that if it were up to this Board of Supervisors we would go back to the system as it existed for all of the years that I have been in office until 
the state of California took away from this city and every city in the state of California the ability to enforce these laws criminally. And they made them administrative citations. They ruined this town. And let me tell you, it is not this mayor's fault. It is not this board of supervisors' fault. It is the state of California, Governor Newsom, and the state legislature's fault. And they should fix it. And I've been very clear about it because our hands are tied and you guys are the ones who are experiencing on the ground. And it is totally not right. And Scott Weiner and Phil Ting and Matt Haney should go carry a bill to give us back our former powers because right now this entire scheme is a joke. Thank you, Mr. President. But to Before you speak, sir, to the speaker who just spoke, you put your comments in your back pocket, but we're happy to take those from you and put them in the minutes. Thank you. Arthur will come and collect them from you. Next speaker, sir, welcome. Well, good afternoon. Uh, AP, if you can get this squashed, I'll vote for you because it's ridiculous. I'm not running for anything. All right, whatever. It's ridiculous that you have us out here doing this job. I'm a former Marine. Before I came to be a street inspector, which I took the test and passed, got number four on the list, there was no questions about dealing with getting racially abused, dealing with crooks and criminals and drug addicts, stealing to sell on the street, and then I got to come out here and put a stop to it. Nothing about that. The test was how to inspect. That's what we were here to do. That's why we applied. Now you got us out here weekly. I had to do it twice last week. You got to do it next week. I get verbally abused, called the N-word, get threatened, have people in my face threatening me, tell me that they know gang members going to follow me home on the 49 bus. This is not right. This is not a job for us. Figure out who the job is for. Take it off our shoulders. Thank you for your comments. Before the next speaker, I'll just say there is a board rule where you cannot show or signs of audible. If you do support the speaker's comments, you can sort of provide hands. Next speaker, welcome. I'm wondering if I can have um, one question before my time starts. I'm wondering, I appreciate that you don't want this either. Does the board have the power to create a class of inspectors who are trained for this? Uh, that's my question. You can answer it at your leisure. I'll start um, your time now. I'm a senior street inspector, uh, and I hope you'll judge my words, not my appearance, because I don't want my name or my face associated with vendor enforcement. That does not end well for people. This is more than a one-minute or a three-minute conversation. We need our own BOS hearing with our agenda for us. I've worked for the city for over 13 years and this is demoralizing. I can't even read what I wrote because it is so upsetting to even think about what we go through. I'm wearing reflective glasses because I learned from the cops, that's what they wear when they're out with us, that just looking at someone who's selling things that they shouldn't be makes you a target for hostility and aggression. Every time I go out there, I look more and more like a cop. I've got a badge. Now I have a stab-proof vest. I have to hide my eyes. I wear a mask so nobody's going to recognize me. Um, I'd like to put Teresa's pictures up because I think the public missed one of the most important things is the visual of someone telling her she's going to be dead by 2 p.m. and then she's got to stand on that shift and stay there. And people aren't reporting incidents because it's too much paperwork and there's too many. This is not 
our job. If you have any authority, you may not be able to change the state law right away, but you need to get people to sign up who want to do this, who have training for this. You have three classes, almost three entire classes, of street inspectors and seniors and supervisors telling you something is wrong here, and, and it, tomorrow we're sent out again. When we had bad press, they shut it down. How come overnight you can shut it down when you look bad, but when we're getting threatened, it's just business as usual. I want to thank the cops who are out with us on, with us on 24th. I've seen what abuse they get. Um, thank you for your comments. Thank you for your comments. Next speaker, please. What is important is that I am a street inspector. Daily, I'm, subjugated, I'm subjected to abuse, physical abuse, and threats, as you've heard before. The bottom line is this is failed legislation. DPW Article 5.9 and State Bill 946 is failed legislation. The police need to deal with street vendors. We need more money for people that are addicted to drugs and are stealing things. $15 million went to the DMAC to take care of organized retail theft. Many of these illegal street vendors are doing that. It's organized retail theft, and then they're fencing these items to support their drug habits. Those are the people that need to handle this, not street inspectors who were hired and trained to check on permits, to check the safety of sidewalks, to check and make sure that the public right of way is maintained. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your comments. Next speaker, please. Yay. They have chosen their own ways, and their soul delighteth in their abominations. I also will choose their delusions and will bring their fears upon them, because when I called, none did answer. When I spake, they did not hear, but they did evil before mine eyes and chose that in which I delighted not. The doom passed upon them for this. They chose their own ways. Therefore, says God, I also will choose their delusions. They have made their choice, and now I will make mine. They have taken what course they pleased with me, and I will take what course I please with them. I will choose their illusions or mockeries, so some, as they have mocked God and dishonored him. By their wickedness, so God will give them up to their enemies to be trampled upon and insulted by them or they shall be deceived by those vain confidences with which they have deceived themselves. God will make their sin their punishment. They shall be beaten with their own rod and hurried into ruin by their own delusions. God will bring their fears upon them, that is, will bring upon them that which shall be a great terror to them. 
Yea, they have chosen their own ways, and their soul delighteth in their abominations. I also will choose their delusions, and I will bring their fears upon them, because when I called, none did answer. When I spake, they did not hear, but they did evil before mine eyes. Now, Jesus quoted this particular chapter in regards to hell in Mark chapter 9 where it speaks of how the worm dieth not. What is the worm? The worm evidently is the memory, the conscience. Thank you, Mark. Next speaker, please. Yes, welcome. Cool. Hi, uh, my name is Amos Gregory. I'm the co-founder of the San Francisco Veterans Mule Project, or Veterans Alley, I'm here to um, support the resolution that um, Supervisor Dean Preston has put before um, the committee here and um, talk a little bit about Vets Alley. So one correction though is that I live in the Mission District. I live in the Mission District and um, Veterans Alley was started um, because of a photography project. So. A year before Veterans Alley was created, I, I started a, a photography project to go out at night and photograph unhoused vets to give them a positive self-image of themselves, right, and to break down some barriers and become an advocate for them. Um, during that time frame, I met my best friend, Mr. Gilbert Lovato, who had been on the streets for about 15 years. He's a United States Marine Corps veteran, and he was like the most beautiful angel on the streets. And uh, with him, a year later, we would create Veterans Alley. And it was a space um, that gave us, for the first time, veterans uh, a safe space to be able to express ourselves in a public fashion uh, via visual artwork that wasn't done by others, but actually was done by us. And so what started off um, 12 years ago now um, has grown into not only us working with veterans, we work with non-veterans in the community. We've also set up a sister project in uh, Tijuana, Mexico, that is 10 years old, that works with deported veterans. They paint their murals on the U.S.-Mexico border fence. We've got a mural project that we um, were invited to go and work with Syrian children in 2015, um, and that uh, project is embedded uh, in the Syrian community there. And so, um, Quick, I know I'm running out of time. Uh, one quick message is, is uh, once we Thank you for your comments. Thank you, sir, for your comments. Thank you. Is there another speaker? Welcome. Happy holiday, right? My name is Alfreda Tillman. I, I worked at the Veteran Alley. I'm the chef, okay? Because y'all come on down. We have a um, Christmas party down there. Which was here. Thank you for your comments. Okay. Next speaker, please. Welcome. Shalom to everyone. My name is Salah Hakuya, and many people know who myself am. I'm just here today once again to acknowledge being the representative of my people, the ambassador of my people, chosen by my people, and also chosen through by way of Yahweh Elohim, the Hebrew creator of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's now time 
for us to take our position and who we are as a nation of people, as a people of cultural integrity, knowing that our language and our cultural ceremonies and knowledge has been taken away. They say that during this time that we would awaken and once again be the head and not the tail, but it starts somewhere. This what you see is who we were before we was kidnapped and taken from the continent of Africa and brought here as slaves. This is who we were and this is who we are now raising to be. My position is to come and represent my people, my nation. I'm looking so forward to us doing great things together to breathe forth equality and justice and most of all, the spirit of shalom. I take my staff that the ancient Moses also had in the time of Pharaoh and now is the time for you to let my people go. Thank you, Salah Hakuya. Can we hear from our next speaker, please? If there are other speakers in the chamber and you'd like to address the board during general public comment, please line up to your right. Otherwise, this will be our last speaker. Hi. Uh, just, uh, I think I'm going to be short. I don't feel too good. Uh, a message here. It is not, I said that before, it is not allowed to mess with the skies at all. Not Tuesday, every day, every time. Never. Do not want to repeat this. I don't decide, okay? So it's just, uh, just a messenger. It is not allowed. In the meantime, guys, the future is going to be good. Going to change the system of education. We have been messed up with that for too long. So it's going to come. It's going to be happiness for everybody, step by step. Uh, like I said last time, please stop using your phone as much cell phone, because you are taking part in the weaponization of communication. That's not good for you. I'm just letting you know. It's no weaponization of anything. I know you need it, but you try your best to use it only when absolutely necessary. This applies to you, and you pass the word. And you own yourself. You own yourself. Pass the word. You own yourself. I can't do better than helping you this way. It's just... It's necessary. You protect yourself. No invasion, because then you know that the other person you're talking to is owning himself or herself as well. So respect. You understand? You don't keep bullshit anymore. Okay. It's gonna. The future is gonna be great, but we're gonna have to go through rough times. Huh? I mean, we have to pay. Everybody has to pay according to what he did or she did. There is no way around. We can't avoid it. So get prepared. Be good, strong, aim for beauty, you remember? Then you'll be happy. Merci, mon ami. Okay, Tony, we're ready for you. Working all day, I'm all grimy. Just wanted to say that. Uh, and, and Tony, can you pull that microphone close so we can hear you? Thank you. Just wanted to say that. Um, People are surviving here through the medication that people have access to on the street. Things like monkeypox and COVID-19 are being fought with dopamine. People don't know this. This is what's keeping people alive and what's keeping these diseases from spreading. It's a huge issue in our community. Um, you cannot get treatment in hospitals 
that will immediately um, ease the symptoms taking your life with these, with di these diseases. It's a problem. We have things like fentanyl and whatnot on the street that are working and keeping people alive. It's a big deal. And people don't know this. They think they can take a pharmaceutical drug that will, you know, give them the old AIDS answer. Well, the old AIDS answer didn't work. So this is an issue that's being dealt with very well by our community. People don't know this. Dopamine is low in the city. This is one of the biggest problems that we have to deal with here. This is how we got these diseases in this community. Um, that's about it. Uh, the key is people don't know this. And you end up with people from other places that come here and then make outrageous statements about drug dealing and all this when these are the things that are answering the problems that our hospitals can't. Um, that, that's about it. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Are there any other members of the public who would like to address the board during general public comment who has not yet spoken? Okay, come on up. Uh, hello, uh, my name is Jonathan, and I'm here to support uh, the name change of Shannon Alley to Veterans Alley. And also I'd like to say that uh, no matter what your occupation may be, your attitude plays a big, big part in that. Thank you for your comments. All right, any other speakers in the chamber? All right, Mr. President. Public comment is now closed. Madam Clerk, would you please read the adoption without committee reference calendar? Yes, there is one item that was introduced for adoption without committee reference. A unanimous vote is required for adoption of item 24, which is on first reading today. Uh, alternately, a member may request this resolution on first reading to go to committee. Seeing no names on the roster, why don't we take that same house, same call. The resolution is adopted. Colleagues, we have one item that I introduced on the imperative calendar that we will need to make some findings for. It's purely commendatory. Uh, it is before you, um, and thank you for indulging me uh, with this item honoring the world's oldest living person and a native daughter of San Francisco, Maria Brañas, who first came to my attention via Academy Award uh, nominated documentary filmmaker Sam Green, who has been filming a documentary about the extraordinary lives of super centenarians and especially Maria. She was born here on March 4, 1907, right after the great earthquake and fire after her family came uh, to San Francisco looking for economic opportunity. Much like San Francisco, Maria Brañas has continually reinvented herself and her life journey as laid out by this resolution is really a sprawling tale of humanity across a long period of time. Maria Brañas officially became the oldest living person in the world on January 17th of this year after the death of Lucille Randon of France. Ms. Brañas continues to inspire with her longevity, perseverance, good humor, quick wit, vast knowledge, verve, and deep wisdom earned from a life well-lived, including uh, inspiring filmmakers who have chronicled her impact and that of 
other supercentenarians, and she has continued to intrigue the scientific and medical communities who have made her the ongoing subject of scientific research as a result of her lack of health or memory issues despite her advanced age. Medical teams are continuing to take DNA samples from her in her nursing home, hoping to unlock the secret of her lo long life and the fact that her biological body is so much younger than her actual age. When you ask Maria the secret, she credits an intentional life of order, tranquility, good connection with family and friends, contact with nature, emotional stability, no worries, no regrets, lots of positivity, and staying away from toxic people. <laughs> Let that last one be a lesson to all of us. I think San Francisco can be proud to call itself the birthplace of the world's oldest living person who today will be 116 years, 246 days. And I think that someone like Maria has much to teach us all at this critical moment in our planet's history on how to live with integrity, love, humanity, and hope. With that, I commend this resolution to you, to you today, honoring Maria Branas and colleagues. Uh, this will require um, sunshine ordinance findings that the resolution is pu purely commendatory and a Brown Act finding that uh, we need to take action uh, because this came to our attention after the agenda was posted. Uh, are there amendments to that effect made by Supervisor Mandelman, seconded by Supervisor Stephanie? Uh, we will take those without objections. These findings are approved unanimously uh, and with that on the imperative resolution, same house, same call, the resolution. President, yes. we need public oh, comment. Oh, I'm sorry, is there any public comment on the resolution for the world's oldest living person? Seeing none, public comment is closed. Same house, same call, the resolution is adopted. Madam Clerk, could you please read the in memoria? Yes, Mr. President. Today's meeting will be adjourned in memory of the following beloved individuals. On behalf of Supervisor Walton for the late Sylvia Jean Whitley and Moselle Brooks, on behalf of Supervisor Peskin and Supervisor Preston for the late Audie Barkin. And Ronan. Uh, and yes, okay, I'll make a note and add Ronan. On behalf of Supervisor Peskin and Ronan for George Labar. No, Ronan on the last one. I'm oh, sorry, Madam Okay, Clerk. okay. We'll change that on the notification. And uh, for the late Master Lu Yi. Thank you, teacher. We are adjourned. <laughs>